lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Happy Thursday to all of you. I am Steve Dace. Aaron McIntyre is here with me, as is Todd Erzin. If you'd like to join us today, 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. You can also let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. That's steve at stevedace.com. D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And if you're looking for clips of this program that you can sample and share with others feel free to go to youtube.com slash steve dace that's youtube.com slash steve dace and don't forget there's never been a better time to subscribe here to blaze tv so you don't miss any of the content we do we do release a lot of it to the general public but we do a lot of exclusive content as well so if you want to subscribe right now we need platforms like the blaze more than ever right now and we've made it cheaper more than ever right now as well go to blaze tv.com slash dace promo code steve five dollars and change a month we've taken thirty dollars off the price of an annual subscription five dollars and change a month is all it will cost you to subscribe to blaze tv i gotta believe this show is worth five dollars and change a month or at least somebody here at blaze tv is blaze tv.com slash dace use the promo code steve to get that discounted subscription our cheapest one ever jam-packed show for you today three non-political questions coming your way later on Uh, also uh dr scott atlas is with stanford university and he has written the number one trending op-ed today over at the hill in Washington, D.C., about why it is time to end the lockdowns. He's going to join us and have that conversation here at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, we're going to take a break from the Theology Thursday series we've been doing because I want to make an application point to some of the themes that we have sounded on this show on a frequent basis over the years, that progressivism is not a political ideology. It is a religion. That it, it represents, it's, a, it's cultic. It represents the, the heresy of the age. It is the spirit of the age. And there's something happening with this story politically with coronavirus right now that I think is a perfect illustration of what we've been trying to point out to all of you uh, for the last few years. We've got all kinds of new listeners and viewers right now, so it's a chance to to reset that conversation. Because here's the thing, you have to know who your opponent is. I mean, even the Savior of the world who died for the sins of the world said that eventually there comes a time that you kick the dust off your sandals and move on. Right? That even hearts are hardened, unreachable, and you just move on. Right? So I, I think it is key to know who is persuadable? We're only given so much time on this earth. And as much as possible, can we work smart instead of hard? Who's persuadable? And I want to show you two groups of people who have, in many respects, culturally, politically, bought completely in to much of what the spirit of the age says is important. And yet, they have taken two dramatically different approaches to the current pandemic. And we're going to talk about why that is, because it's theological, actually. It's not political. It's not common sense. It's deeper. It's deeper than that. 
So we're going to get into that coming up in the second hour. But before we get to all of that, here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were still locked down. What happened while we were locked down brought to you by Muzzling the Ox. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp took the courageous action this week of essentially ending his state's lockdown by allowing some businesses like hairdressers and spas to reopen. So naturally, President Trump threw him under the bus yesterday. I disagree strongly with his decision to open certain facilities which are in violation of the phase one guidelines for the incredible people of Georgia. He must do what he thinks is right. I want him to do what he thinks is right. Uh, But I disagree with him on what he's doing. Safety has to predominate. We have to have that. So uh, I told the governor very simply that I disagree with his decision. But he has to do what he thinks is right. Apparently, President Trump wants Georgia to be more like New York. They're saying that they don't have time to wait for all of this testing and they need to get back to work in order to feed their families. Their savings is running out. They don't have another week. They're not getting answers. So their point is the cure can't be worse than the illness itself. What is worse than death? What if somebody commits suicide because they can't? Yeah, but the illnesses may be my death as opposed to your death. Economic hardship, yes, very bad, not death. Emotional stress from being locked in a house, very bad, not death. Uh, um, Domestic violence on the increase, very bad, not death. Meanwhile, at the more local level, sheriffs and local officials are starting to push back against their state's draconian measures to stop the spread of coronavirus. Bonner County, Idaho Sheriff Daryl Wheeler pushed back against Idaho Governor Brad Little's insistence on house arrest. At least four sheriffs in Michigan say they won't be enforcing parts of Governor Whitmer's stay-at-home order. The sheriff of Racine County, Wisconsin, says he will not be enforcing Governor Evers' stay-at-home orders. The sheriffs of Frank- Franklin and Snohomish counties in Washington state say they will not be enforcing Governor Inslee's continued stay-at-home orders. And the Houston Police Officers Union released a statement slamming their county's draconian measures against its citizens, calling them idiotic. An additional 4.4 million U.S. workers filed for unemployment last week, raising the total since the virus hit to around 26 million. That means that just shy of 8% of the entire population, not just the workforce, has lost a job in the past weeks. YouTube CEO Susan Wuchiki says her platform is starting to crack down on content surrounding the coronavirus. Um, removing information that is problematic. You know, of course, anything that is medically unsubstantiated. So people saying like, take vitamin C, um, you know, um, take turmeric, like those are all will cure you. Um, Those are the examples of things that would be a violation of our policy. Um, Anything that would go against World Health Organization recommendations would be a violation of our policy. And so remove is another really important part of our policy. And finally, the 2020 NFL draft starts this evening, and because of the ongoing shutdowns, it's going to be taking place via teleconference. For those of you who have been using GoToMeeting and Zoom for your work meetings, you probably understand that this is more than enough seating ground for zany hijinks. If you wonder what that means, Chris Hassel of CBS Sports has you covered. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 2020 NFL draft. Please remain on mute until it is your turn to pick. Oh, it's probably the casserole we had last night. Detroit, please go on mute. Oh, sorry. 
Okay, then. Cincinnati Bengals, you are on the clock. We will select Joe Burrow. You're frozen. Who is that? Burrow. That sound like a, a trade to Miami? Is this thing on? on? You guys heard that too, right? <laughs> we can't understand you, Cincinnati. Joe, Joe. Okay, well, I think we all know who they're going to pick, so let's just move on. The Bengals will take Joe Burrow. Uh, Washington, you're up at number two. With the third pick. In the 2020 NFL Draft. Detroit, it is not your turn. The Lions select. Okay, I had to mute Detroit. Sorry. Yo, 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 yo. Hey, sorry we're late. Chicago, you do not have a first-round pick in the 2020 NFL Draft. Oh, yeah. And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> I've known Chris for years. He started out here in our backyard. That's, that is funny. Now, you guys heard they did the test run on this, right? And they forgot. That he's, that's what he's mimicking there. They did the test run on this Monday with a mock draft, all right? And they had the team's trade picks, and they made it really kooky to, for worst-case scenarios. And the first two and a half minutes, they had a massive malfunction because the NFL general managers, a bunch of them didn't mute the, the call. Didn't mute the call. Nice. Yeah. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. Now the rest, once they realized they had to mute to come on, it, everybody's enjoying that part of the story. It's funny. All right. It, the, the other part of the rest of the story though, Paul Harvey is once they figured out they had to mute, mute the thing, the rest of it actually went off just perfectly fine. Okay. But, but yeah, that, that is true. When they did a, a, a dry run through the other day, a bunch of the GMs forgot to hit mute and it just had, there was a meltdown. But then once they figured out they had to mute, it went just fine from there. All right. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Genesis 950. If you're thinking of replacing those carpets due to pet stains and odors this spring cleaning, you must try Genesis 950 first. I mean, let's, let's face it. It's not cheap to get new carpeting anyway, but you may not even be able to get it right now unless you're going to lay that yourself. Uh, there may not be uh, a lot of you that can get uh, somebody to come in and lay that new carpet as it is. So why not give Genesis 950 a try uh, when you don't have the option of looking elsewhere anyway, especially because it's an amazing pet stain and odor remover that's made right here in America and its speciality is getting down into the padding of your carpeting where the odors really reside even after you vacuum and you shampoo and it looks great and you're like why does it still smell in here it's because of the padding and that's where Genesis 950 digs down deep you can even use it in your carpet cleaning machines and it's green safe so it's safe for your kids and pets as well if you want to give Genesis 950 a try for your carpets at home um Go to Genesis950.com and use the promo code Blaze. Genesis950.com, promo code Blaze to get a discount at Genesis950.com. We are going to discuss the doctrine of the lesser magistrate playing out in real time. A, a, this is a key principle of Americanism, what these sheriffs are doing and pushing back. Against uh, whether it's whether it's a, a rogue judge in Houston, whether it's your own governor in Washington State, this is this is key in the maintaining of liberty. It's what the founders intended offices like this to do. So we're gonna we're gonna set that conversation aside because it, it probably requires a little bit more depth than we have time for here in this opening segment. So that's gonna be the topic of today's overtime today. BlazeTV.com slash dace promo code Steve to get that cheapest subscription ever. BlazeTV.com slash dace promo code Steve. All right, let's get to the rest of what's in Aaron's montage. Um in politics, there's the real reason 
people do things. And then there's the right reason. Okay. Heard me say that before. I think I just reset this a couple Correct. days ago. You right. Did. That clip from President Trump is exhibit A is into what that actually means. I'm sure that the right reason is he's concerned George is going too far, too fast. And if Georgia reopens and it's a, and it's a disaster at the rate that governor Kemp is claiming, and we're going to get into that fallacy in a second. Okay. Cause what you're being told on that is overblown, which I'm sure will shock none of you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if you're shocked by that, you chose the wrong show to watch folks. Okay. But the hysteria you're being fed on Georgia Georgia just might as well change its name to Sweden. If you know what I'm saying, G? All right. Uh, this is, that's ridiculous. But we'll, we're, we're going to get to that second part of this story in just a second. All right. Because here's the reality. If Georgia opens up and it's a disaster, right? Brian Kemp will face the local media, but it's nothing compared to what President Trump is going to face the very next day at the with the, with the White House press corps. Correct? Correct. All right. So. That's the right reason he's doing this. He is, he is providing himself an out so he can say, hey, I was on the record telling Governor Kemp that I thought it was too fast, too soon, and I'm free now, therefore, to throw him under the bus later if I have to. Right? Right? That's the, that's the, that's the right reason. I'll, I'm going to tell you the real reason, though. See, what a lot of you that don't live in the state of Georgia probably don't know is there has been for quite some time now just an old-fashioned drop trow and grab the rulers uh, measuring contest and urination match going on between Governor Kemp and President Trump. And it's over a U.S. Senate seat. And the president wanted his boy, Congressman Doug Collins, who has a, a, a very poor uh, liberty score at Conservative Review. Last I checked, it was a D, I believe. But the president wanted his guy, Congressman Doug Collins, you know, he's one of these guys that has been elevated to, you know, in this class of people like Elise Stefanik and, you know, just people who are total rhinos, but figured out that if they if they dropped, uh, you know, uh, dropped a dime on Adam uh, full of Schiff, the, the crowd would go wild and you'd forget about the fact they didn't even vote for the Trump tax cuts because Elise Stefanik did not. And she's doing Corey Lewandowski videos today. I mean, you couldn't even vote for like, that's like Republican 101. Like you have to vote for every tax cut. She wasn't even willing to do that. Okay. So there's like this class of just, just, just libs, liberal Republicans that figured out during the whole Russian collusion hoax, they can get on Fox and, and, and be branded as MAGA baby by, you know, dunking on, you know, Adam Schiff and his 90 IQ. Respect the grift, man. Stacey Abrams called and said, hate the game, not the player. Doug Collins is kind of in this camp. Adamantly out there against the collusion and all that other stuff. Just not adamantly out there on the issues that you and I care the most about that are going to really determine our lives when this era, whatever it is, ends. And so, but the president, that's his tale as old as time. A guy took bullets for you. You want to reward him. And normally the president is heard in such matters. But in this case, he was not. And Brian Kemp, 
uh, decided instead to appoint a successful businesswoman named Kelly Loeffler. Or is it Loeffler? One of the two. Now, not much was known about her. And the track record of taking people who claim to be conservative from the corporate community without any sort of political resume and putting them in office, not good. It's not a good track record. Doesn't, doesn't typically work. Okay. Um, I haven't really followed her that closely as a senator. I do know she was embroiled in that story um, back in March. She was one of the people that was accused of dumping stock after uh, getting a, a particularly pessimistic coronavirus briefing on Capitol Hill. I have no idea where those allegations are at. I'm, I'm afraid I've got, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make sure our way of life, I, I'm trying to make sure we are free to complain about run-of-the-mill political corruption again. Okay? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm trying to make sure here. I, forgive me. I'm spending all my waking hours making sure that we have the luxury of complaining about corrupt politicians around here again. Wouldn't you prefer that? Wouldn't, wouldn't be debating 57 genders just be so much more fun right now? On this show, our focus has been trying to get back to the lower class of grift that we were just much more accustomed to and annoyed with before this started. You just presented me with the binary choice of all binary choices there. Transgenderism yes. or COVID. Yes. So I, I don't know if she's guilty. I don't know if she's been a good senator. I don't know. I don't know. Because you know why I don't know? I don't. It's not that I'm lazy, Bob. It's that I don't care. I don't. I don't care. I don't. I, I don't care who's right between Brian Kemp and Donald Trump. Who I have. I don't know that one got person would make a better senator than the other. And because I spent ten years of my life totally devoted, hopelessly devoted, Sandy Duncan, hopelessly devoted to you, partisan party politics. And all I got for it was a lot fewer friends. <laughs> All right. So I, I'm tapped out. I'm in I'm in retirement. When we get back to normal, we got to have a don't care segment where the, just yes. Aaron yes. puts a profile of news of the day and you, you just goes to you and you say, don't care. But I don't I don't I don't I, when I don't care. I, I don't care if Doug Collins is the senator from Georgia. I don't live in Georgia. I don't have to care. I don't have to research them. I used to get involved in all these primaries around the country. And, and all it gave me was. Um, uh, male pattern baldness and fewer friends. So no, 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 uh, no, I'm out. Because here's what I found: I rarely won, and then most, the, and then and then most of the time when I did rarely win, the person I helped rarely win just gave me what I would have gotten if he had lost, with few exceptions, and not enough to justify the continued lashing. So no, so. I don't know who's right or wrong in the fight. I don't care. I just want you to know the background here. Because my inbox has been lighting up since last night, since the president made those comments. That's what's really going on. This is butthurt. Now, I will say to the president, and I think we have been very friendly to him on this show in the last month, because our interests have aligned. But I will say, um, if my inbox is any indication... A lot of, at least the, the part of your base that's watching this show right now and listening to this show on a podcast, maybe it's, who knows, maybe it's not that many, I don't know, but however many it is, they would like Donald Trump to sound a lot more like Brian Kemp right now than he sounded yesterday at his press avail. So just passing that one on to you. 
do with it what you wish. Now, from what I understand, most of the people in the White House would like the president to sound a lot more like Brian Kemp than when he sounded like yesterday, too, if you know what I'm saying, G. So just throw that one out there for y'all to just kind of chew on that one for a bit, too, if you'd like. All right. But to the second part of the story, I mean, have you guys actually read Georgia's regulations? Not the headlines. Not, not, not the headlines. Did you read the story? Like you have to like wait outside to get haircuts and stuff. Like you're, there's not going to be like packed waiting rooms. Did you guys read this stuff? Of course you didn't. Because that's how we do it today. It's ready, fire, aim based on the headline. All right. I got a buddy of mine in Oklahoma. They're doing the same thing there. He's going to get a haircut. This is, Georgia's not doing anything that several other states are either already doing as well or about to do in the next couple of days. Okay. It's, that, the, whole, the, the whole controversy, folks, is fake news. I'm sorry, but it is. It's fake news. The hysteria over this. It has to be the next cindering pile of ash because yes. all the rest so far have failed have, to deliver. Yes. So it must. There's a lot of things going on here. You have the media promoting Stacey Abrams, the alleged governor of Georgia, as Joe Biden's running mate. That's her home state. All right. Um, you've got the pissing contest between Donald Trump and Brian Kemp uh, over a Senate seat. You know, that you'll largely get probably the same performance. You know, she might be a 71 and he might be a 69 or he might she might he might be a 69 and she might be a 71 on the Liberty score. But by and large, it'll be the same. OK, that's what's really going on here. This has very little to do with Georgia. Very much to do with vested interests. So I, I wanted to just give you the background on that. Don't fall for the banana in the tailpipe. All right? Don't listen to any of the pearl clutchers. Don't listen to any of the national pan, uh, uh, panic porn peddlers on television telling you, I can't believe you're going to get a haircut. Uh, you think they're doing their hair and makeup themselves. You think? Nah, they're not. <laughs> all right? So this is all, the whole thing's fake news. The whole thing's fake news. The whole, uh, the whole thing is like the whole thing is it couldn't get faker it's like cherry girl fake like taking off her breasts and her toenail fingernails nothing here's real man the whole thing's contrived don't believe any of it now let me tell you what is some real news that clip from governor cuomo that's politically devastating well let me put it this way it's not if, you, if your plan in the immediate future is to remain Governor Cuomo, right? It's not. I mean, New York is essentially two states. New York City and its surrounding areas and then the rest of the state. And New York City and its surrounding area greatly outnumbers the rest of the state. And so it often gets its way, and that's why it's a deep blue state. And, and what he is saying, and of course, we know it, you want some fake news, being told by the same governor. Remember when Governor Cuomo told you a few years ago, if you're pro-life, you're not welcome to move to his state? Do you remember that? I do. Being told by the same governor, if you're pro-life, you're not welcome to move to his state. But that, you know, death is the worst thing ever. The guy who gleefully signed into law a bill that allowed you, if the baby was born alive, to kill it. He, I mean, he would know 
look at the act his own brother was 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 playing on CNN that he called out by the way. Hey man, saw you walking around. <laughs> this whole thing is fake. All right, that's fake too. Okay, gosh, man. But but what is real is if you're planning in the next six to seven months being something other than Governor Andrew Cuomo, that clip, brah, is radioactive. Radioactive. Hold my beer to the Nancy oh, Pelosi ice cream yes commercial. Yes, it is. Because about the time people get down, what about the time people get down to vote here in November? What's going to be the most immediate concern to the overwhelming majority, overwhelming majority of people who vote? What would they have bit hit hardest by? Coronavirus death or unemployment? Lost my home. Saw yesterday our our, uh, old peer here in the CRTV days, Dan Bongino, had a buddy of his, hang himself yesterday, struggling with depression and everything else with what's going on with the loss of a job. How many more Americans are going to have a story like that? Domestic violence, bad. Death, worse. I don't know, brother. Let me tell you this. I grew up in a home of domestic violence. There were times I thought death was deliverance. Listening to the screams upstairs. Listening to the screams upstairs. There were times I thought maybe death ain't so bad. Because living through that was hell at times. And my story is a lot more common than I died from COVID-19. That is wow. That's self political self-immolation, that clip is. I mean, you might as well just ended it with, and then, you know, when you're famous, you know, chicks just let you grab them by the hoo-ha. I might just thrown that in while he was at it. I mean, I, that is toxic. Toxic. Now, in New York State, where they hate the rest of America right now, by and large, if you're not suffering the way that they are, at least that's the way their media is portraying it, right? That, I mean, I mean that'll get palm branches, hosannas. But the rest of the country? Whatever the odds were, Andrew Cuomo was going to be the supplement for Joe Biden when this is all said and done. Whatever those odds were before that clip aired, they're less now. Now, I don't know what they were before, I just know it's less now because in a lot of the places you need to flip, that dog ain't going to hunt. Okay. I, I am blown away by that. The, I mean, especially given the, the swag, the panache, the way that he has handled his business, even early on the self-awareness, maybe I shouldn't have shut schools down. We got to get this state. I mean, that, am I overblowing this? What do you think? No, I totally agree. I totally agree. You, but you know, I don't think it's even any. I think there's a uh, certain providential circumstance going on that we're talking about Trump and Cuomo both just kind of reverting back to form on the exact same day. You know, I just these. Is it comforting too, though? 
Isn't that another sign we're getting closer to a return to normalcy? <laughs> Donald Trump on a daily basis driving us nuts and Andrew Cuomo being a total Yesterday, douche. I made the joke about the swallows <laughs> returning to Capistrano. Well, here we are again. And, and it's, yeah, there's a feeling of, yeah, the, the sun is rising once again. I mean, we are more comfortable as a show being like, we're all in for Trump today. And then the next day we're like, when the Sam Hill were we thinking yesterday? And then the next day we're like, I don't know, today's going really good, right? Doesn't that make you feel that? I want to get back on that ride. I like that ride better because it meant it, it also means we're somewhat back to the uh, the normalcy that we're at right now. Aaron, what are your thoughts on those comments by Cuomo? You put them in the montage, so yeah. you must have thought they were noteworthy. Well, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, there's no, I mean, the, the reporter is literally telling uh, Governor Cuomo what she's hearing from protesters right outside the door, <laughs> essentially. Right. And she said, well, what about suicide? You know, Cuomo says, you know, economic hardship, that's bad. It's not death. And the reporter says, well, what about suicide? That type of blasé attitude. I mean, if people were smart, and I think based on what we saw in that Nancy Pelosi ad, uh, that uh, that uh, Parscale, uh, Trump's campaign manager, I believe is, is what he is, uh, put out uh, late last week. If they're smart, they will just freaking blast that message and blast messages like that. These people really don't care about your livelihoods. I don't know what they're doing, but it's certainly not uh, being interested in, in your way of life. We're going to talk to Dr. Scott Atlas from Stanford University. He's got the number one trending op-ed right now at The Hill about ending the lockdowns. He's going to join us here next on The Blaze. Stay tuned. Kyle and Josh were both losing their hair. No shock since the dreaded male pattern baldness gene ran in both of their families. But the way that each of them chose to confront this uh, this first world problem could not have been more different. Kyle kept putting it off, uh, that hair loss treatment, and losing more hair by the day. Meanwhile, Josh went to Keeps to learn how to keep his hair because Keeps offered Josh the generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products that are out there. So they are the real deal, but the generic versions saved Josh a ton of cash at the exact same time. All it took was a quick online consultation. He answered a few questions, snapped a few pics of his hair, all from his couch, and then his physician-recommended FDA-approved hair loss treatment arrived discreetly to his door. Now, if you want to be more like Josh, we did this for you. Half off your first order when you go to keeps.com slash grow right now. Half off your first order at keeps.com slash grow. Half off at keeps.com slash grow. Well, over at the Hill, they're saying this is their number one trending column today. Uh, and it is written by the author that's joining us right now, Dr. Scott Atlas, uh, MD with Stanford University. Uh, doctor, it is a pleasure to have you with us here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Name of your piece, the data is in. Stop the panic and end the total isolation. I want to I, I give you a chance to, to give us a quick summary of the five facts that you have in your piece. But I want to start by asking a meta question, if I could. 
All right. Okay. So last Friday, I was on a conference call with uh, your, some fellow faculty members of yours at Stanford after they released uh, their antibody, their serology study of Santa Clara County. One of the things that I have found fascinating, I mean, I have just been, uh, you know, shoulder deep in research on this story since it began uh, a little more than a month ago. And what I have been fascinated by is that there's actually been quite a bit of, of disagreement within the expert community. I mean, people that have major credentials in this arena, Dr. Michael Osterholm, for example, has worked at the last for the last five administrations. People at Oxford, um, uh, Carnegie Mellon, Rockefeller have come forward to say, uh, we're not sure this is the, the right thing that we are pursuing here. And your university, which is one of the elite universities in the country, has had several different individuals come forward now, starting with Dr. Ioannidis. Uh, he wrote a peer-reviewed paper almost a month ago, or well over a month ago now, questioning whether we had the data to go about this strategy. Can you explain to our audience why there has been so much pushback, even within the expert community on Imperial College and to a lesser degree, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation models, why there's been so much division about this amongst people that typically on these kinds of matters seem to agree more often than not? Well, I mean, part part of the numbers uh, basis for everything that's been said was, was necessarily based on projections and models. And there's one thing that models often, uh, I would say, have in common. The most common thing models share is that they're always wrong. And the reason <laughs> that they're wrong is because they're based on inputs that are assumptions. Mm -hmm. And those assumptions are incomplete or sometimes erroneous. This is not to impugn anyone. There's so many smart people involved in this and no one is trying to criticize uh, anyone or any model really. But when you look at the models, the original assessment, first of all, that, that really hit everybody was the assessment that there's a mortality rate, a death rate of three, four, five percent of people that have infections from COVID-19 will die. And that right away for most of us uh, was almost certainly wrong and an exaggeration because most of the people who came forward were already sick. We didn't know how many people had this uh, COVID infection. And now we know. And so when the projections were originally made, they immediately were changed uh, to in, in, uh, sort of incorporate the, the, the idea that a lot of people had it that were asymptomatic. And so and the other thing that you see is that the models are, are changing even though the assumptions have not changed. And this is what makes people skeptical. If you look at the uh, IHME model, which is the most sort of uh, used model by this administration and by most people, I would say at least in the US, they made a projection of number of deaths originally on the order of one to two million in the US based on nothing being done. And then they made another projection of say one to 200,000. In most people, you know, the, the, the number was about 150,000 roughly. I'm not, I may be uh, a little bit off based on total isolation. And now almost every few days they're revising that with no change in policy. There's been no change in what's being done. It's just that more facts have come in. And so now the estimated deaths are in the 60,000 range by that same model. No change in assumption, just more facts. So 
models are necessarily uh, based on assumptions that with incomplete data. So it's not a criticism. It's simply the way things are that when you get more information, you have a more thoughtful and more accurate assessment of what's going on. Along those lines, I want to give you some specific numbers. And I want, I want to pretend I'm the governor of Iowa. We are one of the few states, that's where I live, that's where, even though we're all over the country, we're broadcasting, our, our studio is there today. So we're one of the few states that did not do a shelter in place. Now, virtually everything is shut down here. You have like nowhere to go. They just made it that you couldn't get, uh, no one could call the cops on you if you had your grandparents over for a kid's birthday party. But there's a de facto shutdown here just without a name, okay? Mm-hmm. That's set to expire a week from today with our governor. Here's the latest data as a, that, that her office reported as of yesterday, uh, Scott. All right, there's currently, we have, we have a population of about 3.2 million. There's 272 people right now hospitalized around the state identified as because of SARS-2 coronavirus. 57 of them are in ICU on a ventilator, or 92 of them are in ICU around the state. 57 of them are currently on ventilators. We've had a total of 90 deaths. Given that data, if I was the governor of Iowa, what would you advise me to do when my current restrictions are due to expire a week from today? Yeah, and and actually, I have been advising uh, some state uh, government elected officials and federal officials on how to reopen. So this is this is the question. This is the key question. How do you reopen? And the, the way to reopen is really to be targeted in your uh, in your so-called isolation or social distancing. And this is really the point here. We know who is vulnerable to getting super sick, hospitalized, and particularly who might die. And that group of people is very well characterized by very elderly. And you almost always the people uh, have chronic underlying conditions. So, okay, there's a, there's exceptional people who, who die or who are get hospitalized and have a super bad course in the hospital that are not elderly, but they all have underlying conditions. I mean, the exception does not disprove the rule. So the numbers looking at New York City, for example, 99.2% of people who have been fully investigated for underlying conditions, 99.2% of them who of the die of the people who died have underlying conditions. So in Iowa, uh, which is not New York City, as and nowhere else in the United States is, uh, let me just say something else. 60% of deaths in the United States are in the tri-state New York area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. So that, that, that really is very different from the rest of the country. So I think there can be a very smart recommendation and some stringent requirements on re-entry. Number one, I would have a mandatory testing for all workers who work in a nursing home or senior care center. Mandatory testing. These people who live there, the elderly, most of them have a chronic condition underlying. That's why they're in the nursing home, partly. Uh, These people need to be protected. And so that is, to me, a mandatory requirement that workers there must be tested. I think we need to be strategic in who else must be tested. It's all overblown, the requirement for testing, to me, in my opinion. The people who need to be tested are the pandemic workers and first responders, okay? Because we can't have them Mm -hmm. attending patients 
and be infected. Mm -hmm. And then patients who are in the hospital need to be tested because if they have it, they have to be isolated and we have to know what to do with them and we can't waste time doing other things for them when we need to focus on what needs to be done. So, and when we see these compassionate care uses of the Gilead drug, IV, which seems to be working preliminarily, these are people who get this IV drug because they're going to potentially die without it. So there's very targeted testing, it's strategic, and and it's very important to isolate the vulnerable, that is the seniors, particularly in the nursing homes. Now, what else do you do? Well. You can open businesses, you can open uh, most things, but you have to have at least a recommendation, and in my view, that's all it should be, to people who are seniors and with underlying conditions, that they need to maintain social uh, distancing. That doesn't mean they need to be inside their house. There's a lot of literature, besides common sense, there's medical literature that being outside in the air with mm-hmm. the wind blowing disseminates and dilutes and contagious, uh, you know, uh, organisms. So, I mean, it's sort of strange to think you cannot go outside. That, that to me is just, uh, I, I don't want to say extreme words, but I just disagree with that completely. On the other hand, if you're in a closed space, Okay, that's a different story. So social distancing should be highly recommended for people who are old with uh, and with underlying conditions. Public transportation, okay, is a difficult challenge. Now, we know that social, that these masks that people are talking about and a scarf over your face, it, there's mixed data on how effective they are. But I think it's reasonable to say if you're going to be on so in a closed compartment like that, like public transportation, I think it's reasonable to require some sort of protection for people who might be coughing, okay? So whether it's a scarf or a mask or whatever, in public transportation where it's crowded, yeah, it's totally reasonable. But to not have a, uh, a, there's something very fundamental that's being overlooked. The overwhelming majority of people do not have a, do not have any risk of dying. The overwhelming majority of people, if infected, do not have a serious disease, and it's, it's almost, it's, it's highly, highly exceptional for somebody who's young and healthy to get a serious illness or die. And so that information, knowing we have a confined, targeted population to protect, makes the policies easier to think through. If you need, uh, if your bathroom needs to be renovated, you don't renovate the whole house. You fix the bathroom. We know we need to protect certain people here. Let's do a very good job of protecting them, but not uh, go crazy and just simply shut down the economy. We know who dies. We know who gets hospitalized. And we know something else, which is a fundamental biology that's been known for a half a century or more. And it's in every virology book. The way that virus infections are controlled is by making sure enough people are immune to block the transmission, Mm -hmm. including the transmission to those who are vulnerable. Mm -hmm. It's like a network. You need to put up a lot of obstacles. The way we put up those obstacles are twofold. We let people get their own immunity by antibodies that you generate after being infected, and you immunize 
they both do the same thing. Widespread immunization causes or creates this so-called herd immunity that people are talking about. And so in the beauty of this disease, and I, I don't mean to under to underplay its tragedy and the tens of thousands of people in the United States who have died and over a hundred thousand in the world. It's a it's been disastrous. But the reality is that half the people who get infected have no symptoms. That's good because mm -hmm. that means we can allow a lot of people to get infected, those who are not at risk to be to die or have a serious hospital requiring illness. We should be fine with letting them get infected, generating immunity on their own. And the more immunity in the community, the better we can eradicate the threat of the virus, including the threat to people who are vulnerable. That's what herd immunity is. That's a basic principle. And the criticism that, well, we don't know. Okay, there's a lot we don't know. But we we don't throw out all fundamental biology, yep. all fundamental immunology, because we don't have all the answers yet. Meantime, in the background, we're working like crazy. We, not me, the scientific community uh, in uh, the startup companies and the big companies on immunizations and on drugs. And that's all progressing. I, I feel like uh, this is, even if there's a second hit of this in a year or next fall, winter, which there could be, nobody knows, but there could be, we're going to be in a totally different position, much more prepared, much more mobilized on how to dis, uh, distribute emergency equipment. We'll have a lot bigger stockpiles of everything. And we know that there's going to be more immunity. That was a phenomenal answer. And you basically just summarized your piece that I was going to ask you to summarize anyway, Scott. So I've got only about 90 seconds. I need to ask you a difficult question, though, that I, I, I need to know the answer to as someone that has researched this so prevalently. How come doctors, Burks and Fauci and the White House task force seemingly have only gone by the recommendations of the most apocalyptic experts and models out there? That, to me, has been one of the great mysteries of this saga. Do you have a potential yep. answer to that? Yeah, I, I don't I wouldn't quite characterize it as that. Actually, when I listen to Dr. Burks, I think she's fantastic. Uh, very clear. You have to listen. She's using precise words. And this is not what the news media does, not what the headlines of newspapers are, not what typical people do. She speaks very, very eloquently and precisely on what she's saying. And she has been not only uh, saying that we're doing the right things here, but she's laying the groundwork for re-entering society. And it is true. I think some of the things she says are uh, maybe a little bit too sophisticated in a sense, but she's saying we need to use caution. But she's also saying something very important vis-a-vis -vis your Iowa question. It's not true that the United States is New York. That statement was made originally uh, by unfortunately by some of the leaders out east mm -hmm. that okay New York is what we're going to see in the rest of the country that's just not true okay right. New York's, yeah 
I'd hey, love to talk about New York with you at some later. We time will. We will absolutely. We will. I'm out of time, but we will absolutely bring you back, sir. I mean, you you absolutely blessed our audience today with your your knowledge and background on this. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. All right, take care. Okay, thanks for having me. You bet, Dr. Scott Atlas, senior fellow at Stanford University. Hour two is next. Back with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre and Todd Erzin. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. YouTube.com slash Steve Dace is where you can get clips of the show to sample and share as well. If you are a podcast listener, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate it uh, because the more of those we get, the more it helps the show to grow. And we want to thank all of you that have sent us. Thousands of you have done this for us already. Please keep those five-star reviews coming. If you like the show, you think it's got a good beat and you can dance to it. All right, Theology Thursday is going to get underway here in just a second, and I know it may not seem like it right now, but the conversation we just had with the senior fellow at Stanford University, Dr. Scott Atlas, MD, actually plays right in to the Theology Thursday topic we're about to address here in just a matter of moments. But first, Deborah found out the hard way how shocking it is. And easy it is that your home can be taken. Thieves found her home's title online, where most of our home titles are found as well. Then they forged a document to make it appear as if she sold her home to them, but she had not. And then they went ahead and borrowed thousands against her home's equity, $80,000 in home equity, Deborah lost. And she didn't even know she was a victim until the foreclosure notices started coming in the mail. She got an eviction notice as well. And then she had to spend another fortune on top of the one she just lost. She had to spend another fortune trying to get it all back. This crime is called home title fraud. The FBI says it's one of the more uh, popular crime sprees in the country right now. If you want to avoid this happening to you, your bank cannot help you, neither can your mortgage lender. But for pennies a day, Home Title Lock does. First things first, though, find out if you're already a victim of home title fraud. Register your home at HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's register your home at HomeTitleLock.com to make sure your home's title is free and clear. And then from there, use my name, Steve, as a promo code to get one month of free protection for your home's title at HomeTitleLock.com. Promo code Steve. Um, the conversation we just had with Scott Atlas, I have been very confident in the research that our show has been doing. I have been very confident in the positions we have been taking. I'm confident enough that I've, in, I've instilled these into my own home. All right, we have um, right away, the kids weren't allowed to see their grandparents for two weeks to make sure that they were symptom-free. We routinely disinfect our home. Um. Now that it's the, the sun and the warmth have hit Iowa, I'm kicking everybody outdoors, outside as often as I possibly can in the sun. Um, you know, we bought a month's worth of groceries up front right away. I, I've actually put into place, except for the surgical mask, although we have a supply of those at our home as well. We're just not wearing them right now. 
But, but I've put all of the personal recommendations into play. What, do you guys remember what I did before we went on the air yesterday? I disinfected our, our, our broadcast area, okay? I, I would recommend you take those recommendations seriously too. But we're back to letting the, the children see their grandparents. They've been symptom-free for weeks. Grandparents are symptom-free. Okay. We went over to grand, grandma and grandpa's for Easter dinner. So, I mean, I'm, I'm living out what we're talking about on this show. But it's one thing, it, it's one thing to be very confident when it comes to your own family. It's another to be very confident when it comes to, I, who knows how many thousands of, upon thousands of people are, are watching and listening to this every day. Who knows, maybe it's even more. Maybe it's in the hundreds of thousands. I don't know, really. You know, I'm sitting on about 63,000 Twitter followers right now about 110,000 Facebook followers right now. So anything, even when, we're, even when this mic isn't on, anything that I say or share about this could, could instantly reach potentially 200,000 people. And then who knows what they do with it from there. How many people they then reach and they then reach. But for me personally to hear someone with the credentials who's a decorated physician, a senior fellow at Stanford, that, that is a school, folks, that 99.9% .9 of us could not get into. To, to, to listen to him summarize better than, than I can say it, <laughs> but he is the expert. To listen to him summarize everything our research told us over the last month and a half, can I just confess to you on a personal level, was a major relief to me. Because it is one thing to believe this theoretically. It's another thing to have it confirmed to you by someone who has held the power of life and death in his hands on more than one occasion, as Dr. Atlas has. Because this is unlike any debate I've been a part of. I've been a part of some real serious debates, but they were often serious about my own employment future, like telling the truth about Mitt Romney during his presidential primary runs, or it was about taking on lawyers and judges that most people hate anyway, like, you know, the historic... Uh, retention election we had in Iowa 10 years ago. This one is really about life and death. And we always take, we always try to be as painstaking as we can here on the show to be as precise and right as we can, but we are human. We have biases. We are frail, fallible. But whatever, as Todd likes to say, however we can dial that up to 11, we have done that as a team here on this show in the last month and a half. There are things we have not shared with you, not said to you that we are confident in, but we're like, we're confident. But would you want somebody in this audience to go and act on it? Are we that confident? Like we think that's true. No, let's wait until we are. 
I told you up front with my longevity theory, which I never got the chance to ask Dr. Atlas about. Hopefully we can have him back. And that is a question I want to ask. Because when I asked his peers at Stanford about this on Friday night, we didn't have an autopsy from the California Department of Health with a dead body from COVID-19 on February the 6th because of community spread. We, we didn't have that yet when I asked him about that, right? And they said, it's too early to tell. Well, we got a body now. We've got an autopsy now. I don't think it's too early to ask that question and get an answer. I'm going to make you really happy right now because yeah. uh, Dr. Atlas there said, I'd like to come back sometime. He's a man of his word. I just see he, he's coming back on Monday. Is he going to come back on Monday? He's coming back on Monday. Can, you know, let's do this. Let's, uh, that's our Monday town hall. Let's have him be the guest for it. And Amen. Let, and then we'll, we'll solicit questions from the audience and let him ask them or answer them. What do you think? Absolutely. We're going to get some, get some questions answered that the White House press corps has not asked this entire time. We're going to do that on this show Monday. All right. Great. That's phenomenal. I know. That's absolutely phenomenal. Okay. So you don't want to miss that. Okay. But- um, this is, this is the most serious debate I've ever been a part of. I've taken a lot of, I've made a lot of contrarian plays. Most of the time they've been right. Not every time. <laughs> All right. But, um, not every time, which is why, uh, uh, my career path has been, has been thwarted at times, but most of the time they have been right, which is why it's survived <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> right. You got to bat a lot higher than 300 if you're going to be a contrarian. You got to be higher than that. You're going to go against conventional wisdom consistently. You got to bat higher than that. Okay. Um, but this, the stakes have never been higher than they are with this issue. Never. And the thing about research is it, you need two things to be good at this, really. You need a desire to, you need to be willing to accept what the truth is. Let me just start with that requirement. You need to be willing to accept what the truth is. Most of us struggle with this. I, I struggle with this. Growing up in a home of uncertainty that will get you over that. I now like cling to whatever the truth of a situation is. Even if it's bad, I just, I want this, I want the solidity of the truth. I want the, 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 the certainty of it, the permanence of it, even if it's bad but at least it's reliable. And that's, you know, this is an easier adjustment for someone like me because I grew up at home on a daily basis. I didn't know if my dad was taking me to Cedar Point or going to beat the hell out of me. And when you live with that daily, hourly at times level of uncertainty and, and fairness to President Trump, that's been my, one of my biggest difficulties analyzing him is it just reminds me so much of the conditions in which I was raised. And I have such um, uh, such a anathema to that. <clears throat> he loves chaos. I don't. I'm fine going through the chaos, but it better end in certainty. Why did I stop watching The Walking Dead? I thought the chaos was fun for a while. But when it was obvious that they were just going to circle the drain into perpetuity, there, there, there was no end to this, I'm out. We, I've, you got to get me to a place of certainty eventually. And that's the first thing to be good at this. Are you willing to accept the truth, even if it's not what you want to be true? Uh, that we struggle with that as a species. The second thing is really just above average intelligence, which I would guess like everyone listening and watching this has. Understanding the content that Dr. Atlas provided 
isn't hard, frankly. It's not. It's it's not. Guys, I got kicked out of university for trying to major in Super Tecmo Bowl. I sat here and carried a perfectly fine conversation with one of the most decorated MDs in the United States. Now, doing the stuff he researches, that's different, all right? That's, that's, that's the difference between Dr. Scott Atlas and Steve Dace, okay? Being able to take that research and then perform with it, with that level of precision, with the power of life and death in your hands, that's, that, understanding what they teach you at medical school is not where the Scott Davises of the world make their bones, being able with their bare hands to then take that knowledge and heal people with that's that's the gift hey you and i could sit down with tom freaking brady if you watch enough film you'll know every bit as much about the offense he's in as he does you'll be able after a while to point out when he threw an interception this is the mistake you'll you'll learn it you'll know it just when he does here's the guy you should have thrown to he'll he'll agree that's not the issue Can you know as much about football as Tom Brady? Yeah, you can. Can you do football like Tom Brady? Can you do it? No, that's that's why he's Tom Brady and you're another Brady. (laughs) All right, he can do it. So you could all so many of you have done the same research we've done. Some of our best research tips have actually come from stuff that you guys have sent us. The God of this universe wants to be known. This is where we're going to segue this now, Todd, into Theology Thursday. The God of this universe wants to be known. He can't make that any plainer than putting himself into human form. He wants the deeper truths of his creation to be known. He wants them to be found. Why why were women made beautiful? So we men would pursue them. Why was the universe given majesty so we would pursue it, pursue its secrets? Learn it. He wants to be known. Acquiring this knowledge, all of you can do this if you devote the time to it. And you have full functioning motor function. Some of us will be better than others, but on a basic level, you could all do it. It's, it's the, the skill, the, the expertise comes in being able to do the right things with that knowledge. So just for me to hear him affirm the gambit that we have taken you, taken with you in the last month and a half, I was greatly reassured by. Let me stop there for a second, Todd, your thoughts. Uh the last six, seven weeks are so clear in my mind because my father died. I buried my father. I had that time off. I came back. That first week I was back was was basically 50-50 coronavirus. And ever since then, it's been all almost all uh, coronavirus. And from the beginning, the conversations we had off the air about this and on the air, we've been telling you what this doctor just told you. We could not get into Stanford, the three of us, to study basket weaving, let alone do what he does. Mm -hmm. But we've been saying this, and the doctor's telling you why. He used words like common sense, like fundamentals, and that even though there are unknowns here, there was no reason to throw 
all of that out. He said, why are we, why are we throwing away the basic laws yes, of biology? Yes, the basics. Yeah. We, we created a giant Rube Goldberg machine that included throwing out fundamental liberties and tanking the world economy when we could have done otherwise because we actually knew what to do when we stopped peeing down our legs for just five seconds. And more than anything, the blue checks on both sides and in both parties simply couldn't, wouldn't do that. They refused. It is remarkable to see at the beginning of the day, we had, we had the power to do otherwise, both in science and reason, and we simply chose not to. Yeah, and that simultaneously I feel vindicated and angry at the same time. Vindicated because this we're not crazy. This is not some sort of uh, Carnegie Mellon. Well, that sounds good. I think I'll plant some seeds, you know, in my garden. <laughs> uh, not Oxford. This is not some uh, far off place. You know, Stanford is on the other side of the con. We just heard. You just heard from a human. Uh, one of the one of the experts, and we were talking about how we were going to title one of our our videos that we put out, and and uh, we we sh- we shied away from using the term expert because you know what? The more experts that I'm hearing from, actually, like Dr. Scott yeah. Atlas, more and more of them, I would say even the majority of the last uh, uh, probably week or so, more experts actually are in line, are falling in line with what Dr. Atlas is saying than than the contrary. At least that I've seen anyway. And so you should feel vindicated, but you should also not lose the fire in the belly as well. Because guess what? Sanity is still sanity. Common sense is still common sense. The fundamentals are still the fundamentals. I got sick of Todd my first year here, or maybe, you know, first year and a half here saying the status quo is the status quo until it's not anymore. Well, guess what? That's probably the most prophetic and most common sense thing that's ever been said, because guess what? The status quo in terms of how we deal and how our species has dealt with, with viruses for millennia, the status quo is still the status quo. Nothing has changed just our fear and our response to it and as todd said just a little bit ago uh peeing down our leg uh that's all we get that's all we get that is that we get we reap what we sow we sowed fear and i'm saying we collectively in the west we sowed fear and now we're reaping the fruit of fear and that's 26 million unemployed in the u.s just just in the last five weeks, 8% of the entire population, not just the workforce, of the entire population of this country has lost a job thanks to what we have done. Famines on the horizon because we sowed fear. People, whether or not they thought they were acting in bad faith or not, people sowed fear. This is what we're reaping. And it's going to be the consequences of this are going to last for decades. But at least at least you have the knowledge and the confidence to know. And I'll stop talking now that you're still sane, that you are not hearing crazy voices, that this is actually reality still is reality. Common sense is still common. This actually segues perfectly into what we had planned to discuss for Theology Thursday, not knowing I mean, we had a general idea of what Scott Atlas was going to say because I read his piece and I said, hey, let's get this guy on. But not knowing that he was going to be as profound and confirmational as he turned out to be. 
This is even a better segue. Because what we were originally going to talk about is even more prevalent than it was for the show started. A real opposition party. And yes, this is theological. I know I'm starting with a political point. But it's, it's the application. And what you bind on earth, you, loose, you bind in heaven. What you loose on earth, you loose in heaven. Right? This is the principle of binding and loosing here. Because of where we're at spiritually, that's how we act naturally. All right? And vice versa, by the way. Um, Donald Trump should be should be extraordinarily vulnerable politically. Good friend of mine um, who's as connected in politics as anybody I know made this point to me in a private conversation just yesterday. He's, he's like, this should be, and, and he, by the way, he's all in for Trump to get reelected. And he said, hey, this should be the end of his presidency. January, it's nothing. February, it's a hoax. March, let's panic, shut everything down. Now we've got 30 million unemployed, no end in sight. Okay. And, and now we're getting real data that all, that hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, more people were infected with this all along. The case fatality rate drops. We probably never had to do any of these shutdowns in the very begin to beginning. And, and while we were sending everybody home from work, you know, our grandparents are dying in droves and nursing homes. I mean, he was livid about this. He's like, this, this, this should be the, the, the he should be extraordinarily vulnerable. The, the Democratic Party should have, this should be a layup to pin this on him. Especially with the media in their back pocket, he said. But then we got to talking why that won't happen. The old Democratic Party, and you know, when you and I were growing up, would have, would have done and just retconned all of the all of the panic that they drove to get us to this point. They'd act like it never would have happened. Retconned the whole thing, and pivoted to having their union people on TV. Look at all these unemployed people, right? That's what the old Democratic Party would have done. This one will not do that because the individual that has made Donald Trump the most politically vulnerable, Anthony Fauci. And did you hear at the end of that interview when I asked? Dr. Atlas, his thoughts on Burks and Fauci. Did you hear how he just didn't even want to discuss, didn't even discuss Dr. Fauci, but went right to defending Debbie Burks? Did you pick up on that? I did. Yeah, that's, 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 that one was tough Assume to miss. Assume you will. Yes. You make, make of that what you, make of that what you prefer. But Anthony Fauci, if you look at Donald Trump's positions on this that have been all over the map, January, it's nothing, February, a hoax, March, panic. You, you want to know what's funny about that? Is that one of the great criticisms Trump has taken this entire process is he won't listen to the experts. The reality is Donald Trump has held the exact same opinion on coronavirus that Anthony Fauci has had this entire time. Whenever Anthony Fauci has had an opinion on coronavirus, it's the same opinion Donald Trump has had. January. We've played all the clips on this show. Anthony Fauci, what was he saying? Frank, like Frank Drebin and the Naked Gun. Nothing to see here. Move along. February, as recently as February 28th, he writes a paper in the New England Journal of Medicine saying, it's just another flu. And then a couple weeks later, he's in front of the U.S. Congress. Hide your kids, hide your wives, because we're coronavirus and everybody up in here. 
All right. Right. Remember that testimony? Like the whole country was shut down in like 48 hours after that. Donald Trump has said on this virus everything Anthony Fauci said. He's listened to his chief expert. His chief expert's just been like wrong the entire time. Wrong. Trump should be like LBJ the summer of 68. I will not seek re-election. That level of weak from this politically for Democrats. Here's why he won't be, though, and, and, and could very well instead the exact opposite could occur. Because as much as Donald Trump has taken too much bad advice, in my view, from Dr. Fauci, who holds Dr. Anthony Fauci in the highest regard of them all, Todd? Who's made him the biggest celebrity? Who Tom. loves him the most? Even more than Trump, who loves him the most? The media. The, the, the Democrats have. The media. The left. He's their idol. He's the expert. They've turned in him quotes. in. Yes, they, they've turned him into like pop culture cool, like Jeff Goldblum's chaos theory doctor from the old Jurassic Park movies. All right. He's the new, who's the guy over at the New York uh, Museum of Natural uh, History? Um, the, 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 who's got the cool name and is in all the movies. All right. I can't remember his name, but they've turned him into that guy. He's, he's chic now. He's transcendent. And here's why they did it. Because they're religious fundamentalists. See, if you want to know who's reachable, now, ultimately, we don't have the mind of God. But if just the minds that we do have, if I was realizing I've got a finite, limited time on this earth, even, even our Savior said eventually, kick the dust off your sandals and just move on. Whom would I invest in? I've got two groups of people, both of whom largely come from cultures or subcultures that have rejected revelation. Sweden has, right? Sweden is somewhat socialist country. Is it really totally grab baggy? It's certainly not, a, it's certainly not a, a, any form of a Judeo-Christian nation. Is that fair? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, that's pretty fair. And yet, despite starting from the, from, from the same premise in many cases as our opponents on the left in America do on most issues, here, when it came down to no longer being a theoretical exercise, no more wish casting, no more magical thinking. This is this is faux shizzle, real life. Like this could like end a civilization kind of thing if we're wrong. Suddenly, Sweden partied like it was 1899. Out there looking for objective data, seeking truth, not overreacting emotionally to situations, going to traditional mechanisms and traditional truths and traditional theories. They, they went, 
Sweden, Sweden, when confronted existentially, went to tradition in the past. Where a lot of the ideologues that we are facing here in our country that have probably a lot of the same viewpoints on moral issues as the people running Sweden do, they didn't do that. I think it is very important for us to understand why. This is a theological answer. And I think it goes a long way in determining who are your allies, who could be, who's persuadable, and, and who's the Pharaoh that has hardened his heart. Who's the Areopagus that Paul just goes back to over and over and over again? And who's the one that Christ himself says, man, it'll be better for Tyre and Sidon. It'll be better, it'll be better for the places Jezebel came from on the day of judgment than it will be for those people. Who is that? Now, this is going to be an educated guess, and I can't emphasize that last word guess enough. Educated guess. But if you're wondering, where should I invest my time? Who is my opponent? And who is my enemy? Who's persuadable? And whose heart is hardened? I think coronavirus has revealed that to us. And at least somewhat. And we'll discuss that here in a moment. So no SAT or ACT this year because of coronavirus. That's all right. There are a bunch of lefty organizations anyway. How about the classic learning test as a viable option? All right. Now, they were already planning uh, as kind of the third national standardized testing outfit out there. They were already planning a massive online take the test from your home rollout anyway. Okay. Um, But they just figured, you know what? We were going to start this pilot program later on. Maybe next year, let's just launch it right now because there's a need with the SAT and the SAT and the ACT now gone. So uh, most parents and students in America still don't know about the CLT as a third option, but many colleges are now looking at it as their solution as well. These exams are taken online and in just two hours with same day Results. So the classic learning test has been used by tens of thousands of students and hundreds of colleges to provide the most accurate and rigorous measure of academic formation, accomplishment, and potential. Better tests create better students. To register for the April 25th, that means it's just around the corner, so you can still meet that deadline. To register for the April 25th official college entrance exam or the April 29th CLT 10, visit cltexam.com. cltexam.com. Both of these exams can be taken from the comfort of your own home. That's cltexam.com. The last few years on our show, as we continue on with Theology Thursday, the last few years here on our show, we've talked about how progressivism is more than a political ideology. It's a religion. 
It is a rival religion to the Judeo-Christian faith or Judeo-Christian based faith system that built Western civilization. It's, it's here to replace that metric. Postmodernism was introduced as a, as an, as a, a deconstructive agent to make it, to deconstruct Western civilization, to make it easier for the new leftist progressive worldview to take over from there. We've, you've heard us use phrases like spirit of the age. That's what we're talking about here, connecting those dots. And that ultimately this cannot be negotiated with. It has to be defeated because its aim is to defeat you. That there's a difference between liberals and leftists. I'm kind of giving you like Scott Atlas was just on here and gave us in seven minutes a complete and total summation of his column that's number one over at the Hill. I'm kind of giving you a brief summation of the last of, of a major theme of the last several years of this show right now. The difference between leftists and liberals. Liberals are people who want government to permit you to do that which God says is dumb or immoral. Leftists, though, they want government to command you, compel you to do it. All of these forces have amassed around this virus. It has become... You know, we compared it to a cultural Pearl Harbor on this show a month ago. It's in many respects from a worldview battle standpoint, it's become the Valley of Megiddo. It's like an ultimate worldview showdown. It is the most ultimate worldview showdown you could probably have that wouldn't include militaries clashing with one another, bloodshed beyond the the, the carnage that the virus itself has caused. Typically, for civilizations to have it out to the extent we are right now requires war. Hot war, not blogs, the real stuff. We're having it out at that level right now. And this virus is the impetus. Because what you have seen exposed here is who just may disagree with you and maybe even vehemently might think you're nuts, might not see where you're coming from at all. But then who is your enemy? And what the virus has revealed, I think more than anything else, more than anything else, this virus has revealed who still wants to know what the truth is. Who is still willing to pursue the truth? See, those of us who believe in absolute truth, those of us who believe in ultimate truth, cosmic truth, you're going to have a very difficult time persuading those who have rejected that such truth even exists. Not that they have a different version of that than you. No, no, not that. But that it exists at all. 
This is why I've also over the years used the metaphor of the crowd, the mob, outside of Lot's house. And I've compared to that great rant Donald Pleasant's character goes on in the first Halloween movie, talking about Michael Myers. He cannot be killed, cannot be stopped, cannot be reasoned with. All right? That's what the mob outside of Lot's house is. And that's when even the God of this universe who sent his son to die for, for people like that and for people like us, even he at that point says, control, alt, delete. I can't do anything with that. Too far gone. Reboot. That's even when God does that thing where he like holds the button down on his computer to force the reboot, just unplugs the TV from the wall or it's the reset on his direct TV uh, direct TV receiver. That that's what happened there. I, the, reset. <laughs> that's what happened. And our way of life and way of thinking, they're not friendly to this in Sweden. They have rejected it. But here's the thing, though. They rejected what we believe, but they haven't rejected the truth. This is an important distinction to understand. They don't believe what we believe is true. Otherwise, they'd live differently, right? Would they live differently if they believed the same thing we believe? Sure. Would they, would they be flirting with socialism and things of that nature? Hope not. No. But you see, though, in the end... They can have all their fantastical meanderings and Swedish academia too. But when it comes down to, am I ever going to be able to leave my house ever again? I mean, like the basic fundamentals of life. Suddenly, Sweden was like, we kind of got to know what the truth is here. Did you notice what happened in our country? There was very little concern, regard for the truth. Very little. Much acting on myth. Emotional impulse. Fear. Panic. An absence of truth. We're, we're, there, where truth is not available in a room. Like when you walk into a room and it's, there's no oxygen and you just suffocate instantly. That's what our country did with the virus and the truth. We're like, you know, Cheech and Chong, man. The truth. Isn't that it bug on the bumper, man? What's that? Meanwhile, Sweden's like, let's let's just do Leviticus 13 and quarantine people. While at the same time in, in parts of Sweden, they don't like want you to preach Leviticus. <laughs> All right. But in the end, when confronted with their mortality, what did Sweden do? We really need to know the truth about this. What did we do? I think we should search for the truth. You just hate grandparents. You want people to die. Maybe, I don't know, we should. I mean, we feed most of the world. Let's get some data on this. You're a hater. All of America's New York City. I, you know... Can we, why aren't we doing antibody testing? Can never shake hands again. No more sporting events again. 
Contact trace everyone, 331 million of people, forcibly vaccinate them all with a vaccine we may never have. That's what we did. Is that not what we did? That's exactly what we did. That is exactly what we did. Meanwhile, the pagans over there in Sweden were like, I kind of like this whole eat, drink, and be merry thing. I like to see this thing go on for a little longer. So before I just forcibly give that up, or or just preemptively give that up, I'm going to, I'd like to get some facts first, because I I like the way we live. Those are people that will be fun to argue with, and the arguments may even be heated, and name-calling may be exchanged. But in the end, that's a civilization that is interested in the truth. Might be time. Maybe we, when this is over, we spend less time promoting fake teachers and false shepherds because they get on, they, they, they help us win elections. Oh, maybe we should spend more time with the people in Sweden. They, they, they seem interested. They, they seem like a people that if you can make a compelling case that this is the way, the truth, and the life, they might listen. You saw the way they reacted when faced with their mortality. We, don't, we need to know the truth. We tried to vaporize the truth in our culture. And we're the one, we're the Christian America. We're the one with all the relics and all, and all the Bible verses on all the buildings. We emptied our churches. We put nails in their parking lots. I think we have gotten some valuable reconnaissance in this last month and a half. I think you've learned there's some people there's some people on the right with blue check marks who tell you that they're for those timeless truths but in the end have become fanboys for you know uh, uh, guys who thought in their last government job vaping was going to be the end of America and was a health crisis I think you've learned there's all kinds of people with blue check marks on the right that tell you that it's, they, they believe in those old traditions that Russell Kirk used to talk about. They believe in God, man, God and man at Yale, like Buckley used to write. But in the end, science! Except it wasn't science. It was reasonable. As defined by who? A culture that's rejected reason. Have any thoughts, gentlemen? And you hit me where I live. You know that. The, the embrace of not just the experts, because Steve made the point with Dr. Atlas earlier, there's been experts differing about this since almost from the beginning. Now, you weren't going to, you had to look harder, certainly, at the beginning. You weren't going to just find them uh, because the mainstream media absolutely wasn't talking. But, but now they've been out there enough. You are 
we, we know they've existed, but how they latched on to Fauci in particular, and it's pretty much clear that now, he's been wrong by a lot of stuff, but I don't, I, we're not really in like twirling mustache evil lord thing, but they, they needed him to play the role. They need others to always play with a whatever other issue talking about. No, it's with. like a fallible human being, yes. and they instantly turn him into their messiah yes. with no data yes. whatsoever, which, by the way, indicates they know, they know, they know they need a what then. If you're turning Anthony Fauci into your messiah, what is that subconsciously an admission you know you need? One of those. You just looked in all the wrong places. So Dr. Fauci regarding coronavirus is basically Greta from where, yep. where is, isn't she also from Sweden, ironically? Mm -hmm. I mean, she's basically Greta for, um, for global warming and, and the environment. They, they just pick out. Th their idols for the issues du jour they're all i mean they're, they they need them to be demigods they elevate them to that level and then n no matter what they hear to the contrary it it's you know la 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 i can't hear you and they will continue to dig down the rabbit hole deeper because it is what steve said it is it's a cult yeah, cults are not interested in truths. Rival religions, people that don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, don't believe the Bible is revelation, but another religious book is revelation. Those are people, though, even if they sincerely think we're frauds, they are interested in the truth. Cults are not interested in the truth. Cults are interested in perpetuating their own narrative and groupthink. And that's what happened in this country, and that's not what happened in Sweden. Which country is better off today? Right now, April 23rd, 2020, which country's better off today? Where are you freer today? Sweden or the United States? It's not even a debatable point, Aaron. A few days ago, uh, one of our listeners messaged me, direct messaged me on, on Twitter and asked, uh, I said, I'm, I'm catching up on, on podcasts I miss. Can you please send me the bleep Democrats say for, I think it was November 1st. And well, that's really random. So I went back and, and watched bleep Democrats say, which is the segment we have on, on the Dace Group Roundtable every week. And I watched that one from November 1st, and it was the bleep Democrats say where there was a New York drag queen who was at a bar, sitting on a bar, uh, had a pretend womb and fake blood and pretended, proceeded to dance on this, on this bar and to pretend to cut out and abort a baby live, live right out of this fake wound, blood gushing everywhere, fake blood gushing everywhere, pulling out a baby doll out of, out of his, I should say, uh, fake stomach. That is completely and utterly, utterly uh, uh, bleeped up. Do I really believe that a culture that is capable of producing that is capable of telling me that I hate old people just because I want to ask them questions? Absolutely not. When you put it in the context of the worst of our worst, it becomes a lot more easy to understand why we had the reaction, what we did. Well said. Well said. Back at it again tomorrow. John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.